You're listening to Daughter Father Dance Podcast. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Prue. That's not proof to me they exist. That's just proof that you believe they exist. Prayer, first of all, it's easy. Secondly, it's effective. The God you love so much made me this way. Hey, hey, listen. That's well, my point. Is what I'm, you believe. I know, but okay, so what I'm saying is. Amen. Oh, gosh. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today, Dad and I chat about our topic, Sans Religion. Can you believe it? Yep, you heard that right. I think this is one of the rare moments when Dad refrains from using religious nods to reinforce his own words of wisdom. And in this case today, it's more about his actions, as you'll see. I'm not sure if it's because of how overtly I dissed the existence of Satan in the last episode, or if there simply are some subjects that aren't necessarily made more tasty with gospel gravy. But today, Dad and I discuss the way he modeled for us four kids just how graceful it can be to make a decision, declare it, and then stick to it. Also, I do hope you'll check out humanlibrary.org to see what they too are doing to help bridge the many divides of our human experience. As I've mentioned, humanlibrary.org is unlike a traditional library. Instead of checking out books, you check out open book humans. That's right, instead of reading about a particular subject, you check out a human and learn from them. Humanlibrary.org's intent is to provide a space to, as they say, unjudge someone. If you got bad habits, you got to change that. Right. People don't like change. <laughs> don't really like change either, but the results of change are very beneficial for yourself and for the ones that you love. A lot of people die from a very poor diet. Well, Dad, you know, it's amazing because I have friends and, you know, even family members that laud you and mom for how young you look. You're as spry and agile as some late 50s and 60 year olds. Some people are like, well, you Arthur's, you have that young gene. But I also think it's because you and mom, you instilled healthy lifestyle. And we were all, all four of us kids were also athletes. So that kind of contributed to the body movement and, you know, having great coaches like Tom Bates to say, you don't drink soda pop because it's, you know, it ruins your synovial fluid in your joints and it has a whole gastro problem it creates and things like that. But do you think that if you were to say one thing, like my sister, she would say what you put in is what shows on the outside. Diet is really critical. Do you think personally that it's diet or do you think it's water that's been your advantage? Now, it's a huge bummer and frankly unfair that all of you listeners do not get to experience Dad's The Many Cries of Water lecture. It's famous. He has influenced many friends and family members about just how thirsty our bodies truly are. But the recording got corrupted and it was unsalvageable for someone like me with novice audio skills. So I will summarize here this lecture that many of us have heard more times than we can count. A medical doctor that was imprisoned in a concentration camp wrote a book about the miraculous ways in which water heals the body going as far as to say that people don't need pharmaceuticals in most cases. They're just dehydrated. Now, Dad, via the information in this book, goes on to explain in his lectures that the body has seven main reservoirs that correspond with seven systems of the body, things like digestive, circulatory, skeletal. But Dad's main gist of this talk, which I'm super hyper-paraphrasing, by the way, is to remind us to stay, as he calls it, hydrant. Hydrant. 
We used to make fun of him for substituting hydrated with hydrant. But now if he tells a story and uses the correct terminology, it's just not the same. So, in essence, a big part of this episode is Dad having reinforced how critical it is to get good, clean drinking water into you for health and well-being. Eat what God has given you the way he's given it to you. And yeah. basically, if we would eat more whole foods instead of processed, packaged foods, we would benefit on the back end and eating healthy, I know, cost more money, but eating unhealthy costs you more money in the long run from medications, disabilities, uh, handicaps, lack of yep. mobility, brain function. Okay, we got it, Harlan Pepper. It's common sense, really, to take care of your body for longevity purposes. I really don't think I look that youthful, but I have had others tell me that. Your mom is a prime example of someone who has really aged well. She mm -hmm. does retain her youthful gleam and her sparkle in her eyes and her smile. And she does take care of her body because when somebody like your mother who has never smoked, who has never drank, never mm -hmm. excessively overindulged in anything <laughs> other than in kindness and worry and devotion. She's a remarkable, and that's why I believe she will be a, a long liver. The man with the vocabulary all his own. The jock part of our life was on both sides of the family that you children just absorbed your mom and I's attitude about being involved in sports. And yeah. basically all of you were jocks. Yeah, we all excelled at something or, or many things. You know, Dad, I never knew Grandpa was a catcher. Remember, I was a catcher and Gina was the pitcher. <laughs> yes, and you could peg that ball to second base and they would oh, be yeah. afraid to catch it because it would hurt their hands. That's a true story. Oh, you I know. could peg that ball from behind plate to second base to throw somebody out. They had to catch that ball and hang on to it or the guy would be safe. Yeah, you had a good arm. Yeah. And Gina had a good arm. She'd burn my glove. I'd cringe a lot of times and be like, oh. Well, didn't you participate you... in a pitch, kick, and throw event? Well, yeah. Remember, it was called Pitch, Hit, and Run. Pitch, yeah, I did. And you got me prepared for it. Remember, we would pitch, and I'd have to throw, and I'd have to hit. You'd tie me, I'd run. But little did I know that we, when we got to Mill Creek Park, it was an all-boys event. I don't know if you knew that, but I had no idea. I knew it. And I had to compete against boys. Yeah, I knew it, because I knew you, you knew could it? do it. <laughs> that is so awesome, Dad. You know what also reminds me of? Your confidence in me as an athlete. Um, I'll never forget when you were talking to John McCogan one time, and I was throwing actually a baseball, I think. It wasn't a softball, it was a baseball. I was younger than when I played softball. And he's like, wow, she's got an arm. And you, I remember you saying, oh, John, you should see her throw a spiral. And I didn't even know what a spiral was. Like I knew I, I would throw the football with you, but I never knew I was throwing a spiral. I didn't know what that even meant. And I thought, 
wow, I throw a spiral good. But I always had so much pride with how adept an athlete I was in your eyes. Well, you had the hands to be able to throw a spiral because you could put your fingertips on the thread of a football and still cradle it in the palm of your hand and then throw it overarm. That's why that ball spiraled so well. You knew how to do that, just where you put your fingers on the threads and how you released it. Well, and you taught me that. You you, were a good coach. You got to remember, you were my tomboy. Yep. You were my job. Yeah, I was your firstborn and your tomboy, exactly. Well, that's cool. I, I like reminiscing about, I mean, fitness, health. You know, what's cool about it is all of us in the family, the happy half dozen of us, you, mom, and the four of us kids, we're all relatively healthy. You know, I attribute that to a lot of things like we've been talking about, but I think I mostly attribute it to the commitment to that discipline. You know, I think growing up in our family, as well as I think Catholic school taught me a great amount of discipline. You and mom had a very disciplined, you know, oversight of us, and but not in a way that was controlling. It was very free, but I think because it was emulated by you rather than forced upon us. You just lived your life disciplined, Therefore, we did too. When you're raising children and you are that way yourself, children copy what they see. And it was easy for you guys to be obedient and trustworthy and all the attributes of a Boy Scout <laughs> because you you just saw the benefit in it and you reap the rewards of it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, I remember that one year. Remember when I lied to you and mom about going to Teresa Wisher's slumber party and you were so mad because I'd never lied to you before. And that was overt. Like it was a true out and out lie. It wasn't a tease lie. It wasn't a white lie. It was a lie. And I remember for like a year, I mean, it, it, I don't know if it was really a year, but it was a long time. I knew that you questioned whether you could trust what I said. And I remember how devastating that was to me to think that my dad couldn't believe me. Kind of like I could tell you wavered on, huh, are you telling me the truth? Because I I had lied to you. It's interesting because you didn't do any sort of punishment around that other than the level of disappointment you felt. You were disappointed in me that I would choose to lie about something. I feel that all four of us, I can't speak for my brothers and my sister, but I know for myself, disappointing you and mom was probably the, the thing that kept us walking a straight line for the most part. It's not that we didn't do, you know, some crazy teenage things and, you know, cause we did. And as adults, we've, you know, visited those with you guys. But for the most part, I think it was, you know, one, I didn't want to do something that would get me kicked off some of the teams I was on in terms of school. But the same thing applied in the family. I didn't want to do anything that was going to disappoint you and mom. Again, I don't think that's because you did anything to make us feel guilty or make us want to be that way. It's just because we did have some inherent love and loyalty to you. Um, I think the big takeaway, obviously, is what we started with. You're consummate dedication and love for keeping reservoirs filled. And I mean, I say that kind of tongue in cheek because I know so many of my friends from the last, you know, 20 years plus who will still to this day comment about how because Gene Arthur sat down with them and said, you've got to stay hydrant. um, They have a dedication to staying hydrated. Okay, now let's talk about your amazing ability to quit something that's not working for you, cold turkey. It was demonstrated to me and my siblings our entire lives. Um, We've got some pivotal, like, 
um, highlights of, of those types of things, like the time you quit coffee. And I want you to talk about that because it's not only a fascinating, uh, thing that you are capable of like literally quitting smoking in an instant because your daughters want you to. That's pretty amazing. And I don't find many people in the world that have that capability except for the four of us, I think do because of you. Quitting cold turkey. Well, you mentioned smoking and drinking coffee. I, I still remember the situation why I stopped on both of them. You're right. The smoking was that my two little girls looked at me with big crocodile sad eyes and asked me, Daddy, why are you smoking? It's not good for you. <laughs> I realized that they're right. I knew it wasn't good for me when I was doing it, but I enjoyed doing it. But I did. I just decided, you know, my daughters don't want me smoking. It's really not good. For me. I'm not going to smoke. So... With that, I just threw the pack in the trash. And then, well, wait a minute. There's one thing. Your mom thinks that I quit while I was driving the car. And you kids said something about smoking. And I littered the street by throwing the package, the pack out the window. Oh, that's horrible. But I did quit cold turkey. I never bought another pack of cigarettes. And I don't know why in the hell I even started smoking. I think I never smoked in school. I never smoked out of school. I started when I got in the Navy in boot camp. Now, so far as uh, coffee, uh, I got sick. I can't remember what it was, if it was the flu. I, ha I was bedridden, and I had a temperature. I felt lousy. I uh, couldn't keep something down. I missed several days of work. Towards the end of that sickness, your mom and I always made coffee every morning, and the aroma, I could smell it even in the bedrooms. For some reason, that smell of coffee made me nauseous. And this is right after I was recovering from being sick with something. And if you remember as a little girl, my feet stunk pretty bad. Oh and... Uh, to the point where I would get home, I would take my shoes off and put them outside. I contribute to my not drinking coffee or quit drinking coffee, cold turkey, as to why my feet to this day still don't stink. Yeah. And oh, sweet baby Jesus, can we move on to another subject now? The memories are excruciating. And your mother and I'm sure your brother... Jared, anyway, I don't think Jason was around yet, and uh, your mom will testify to that, to how bad my feet used to stink. Dad, you... Matter of fact, mom would buy me Dr. Scholl's shoe inserts, but I, I think that I had an adverse effect of coffee. I can honestly say that I've yet to meet another human who attests to no longer having sticky feet due to giving up coffee, but this truly happens to my father. Thank God. Julie and I remember those feet. I mean, <laughs> it's in, there's a, a supplement called valerian root that is helps people to sleep. I don't know if we've ever told you about it or if you've ever taken it. But somebody asked me on some Facebook surveys or whatever and said, what's your worst nightmare? And it was 
getting stuck in a closet with an open bottle of valerian root was what I put down because it so hideously smells. And dad, it smells like your feet. Wow, that's really bad. It was so bad. So what's amazing though, dad, is not just that this really strange connection between coffee and feet, but is how, which I'm sure we're gonna lose a lot of listeners on this one, just talking about feet, is how amazingly you stop things. Now, I did not know that you had gotten sick prior to your quitting coffee. I thought that 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 commitment to quit was very similar to when you quit smoking, and that was you just made a decision, oh, this makes my feet stink, I'm gonna quit it. Those are two very difficult things to quit, cold turkey, coffee and smoking. People that drink coffee typically drink it because they kind of have to or they get a headache otherwise or whatever. You've never had adverse effects of quitting things cold turkey. Well, let me tell you what happened when I quit drinking coffee. When I went to confession to Father Miller, I was telling him about my shortness and my grouchiness with my family. He asked me some questions about when did I notice that? When did I start having that, that attitude with, with your mom or your children? And I told him that, well, I had quit drinking coffee. And he said, well, that's your problem. You're having withdrawal pains from the caffeine. And after I realized that, I was able to deal with that better. But I didn't even think about having withdrawal symptoms from caffeine. Never even entered my mind. Because I, I just drank coffee, never thinking that I'm going to be addicted to it. But when he said that, then I realized, yeah, I was addicted to this caffeine. Well, that surprised me. I didn't realize that people suffer from withdrawal from not drinking coffee. And that's probably another good incentive why I never, to this day, I don't drink coffee. I know, you never drink it again. That's what's so fascinating about it dad that so my point of making that point is you raised four children with a very similar perspective about if something isn't working for us we don't do it anymore now I'm sure there's exceptions with that all four of us could probably talk about exceptions to that but what an amazing gift to give, you know, to model your kids, albeit extreme, right? Like you're talking nicotine withdrawal and caffeine withdrawal. These are not easy things to quit cold turkey. And yet you, you modeled that for us. So here again, in how you lived your life, unbeknownst to, you know, trying to make, have any great grand effect on your children, you gave us a really amazing gift of, hey, this doesn't work. I don't do it. Not do what you should not do and to do what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, that was a pretty a nice way to sum it up. That's, that's what you taught us. I don't think you ever sat us down. You just did it by doing it yourself and modeling it. Okay, Daddy-O, do you have any last words? When you quit doing something, it's either because it's not good for you or it's bad or it's illegal or it's wrong. I hope I don't have a whole lot more to say about that. <laughs> okay, touche, touche, Papa. I love you, Dad. I love you more. Okay, everybody, have a great week, and remember to stay hydrant. <laughs> Thanks again for being here. See you next time. <laughs>